You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Arthur, does it help to have someone to talk to? My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. Just me. Or is it getting crazier out there? Smile. Though your heart is aching, smile. Even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by what? if you smile. Sorrow, smile, and maybe tomorrow. You <laughs> What's so funny? Freak! <laughs> Gotham has lost its way. and welcome once again to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone, and today I have Steve joining me. We are going to talk about Joker. The movie has been a complete hit. Some reports are saying it's the most profitable R-rated film to date. It is still out in the theaters weeks later. There does not seem to be any way of stopping it. It is a bona fide hit. And we are going to sit down and talk about this film. There are so many aspects that we enjoyed. I am so happy that uh, DC finally has another, you know, feather in their cap to kind of balance out the the mega success of Marvel. 
once again, the formula used this time is a different formula. If you think about it, you know, the Marvel formula that they might have tried to duplicate that did not work out so well, for them, the individual character studies seem to work out better. But this goes beyond that. This gives it a completely different tone that we had not seen to this extent before. We got a little close to it with The Dark Knight, my favorite of all the superhero films. But this one, wow, this one is just amazing what they did. So, one little quick warning. There are a couple of little sound bites here or there that might sound a little distorted. We had a little problem when we were recording. But overall, we were able to put this together exactly how we wanted it to sound. So, without any further delays, let's get started with Joker. What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the force will be with you, always. All right, I'm here with Steve, and as promised, we are going to talk about Joker. Now, this is a movie that I saw a little over a week ago, and I've been antsy and waiting to talk to somebody about it, somebody who's pretty deep into the you know the mythology of, of, of comic book characters, and specifically this this particular character. Now, before we get into the uh, the plot, let's talk a little bit about your background, or as, as far as you like, as far as you're concerned, who are your favorite interpretations of the Joker? In, in past, you know, films, television, whatever, comics, obviously. Well, how are you doing, everyone? First of all, hi, and thanks for having me back, Carlos, on the show. It's an interesting topic. Uh, it's, a, it's a good one. So, I feel, now, as much as I, I love our previous, I guess, you can call it main, you know, Batman theme Joker was Heath Ledger, not including Jared Leto in Suicide Squad, but uh, our last big Joker was, was Heath Ledger, and and I really enjoyed what he brought to it. I thought he brought a lot of depth, a lot of nuance to the character. Mm-hmm. I will say that I feel as though he often is, I think, put up on a pedestal. And I hate to say this because it sounds, you know, very, very disrespectful. Uh-huh. But I, I believe, like, sometimes he, he, he's a bit overrated um, as what he brought to the joke. And that's not to say he didn't bring, you know, a, a ton of, to the character. But I feel like as, as, much, as much as he did bring, a lot of it was... It's always the caveat of, oh, he was so great as Joker, you know, mm-hmm. rest in peace. And, 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 you know, it's always sort of like an addendum to his passing, you know, his sad passing right afterward. So I feel like that sort of factors into a lot of people and how they rank him. But and again, that's not to say that he did a fantastic job. He really did. And, and to me, and we have other ones like Jack Nicholson and, you know, he created, took what he had with the character and made his own. But it's more of a cartoony Joker. And same with like Mark Hamill, you know, you know he, he did the animated voice in the animated series. And they're all, they're all great. They all bring a different piece to it. But I feel like uh, Joaquin Phoenix just got so into the character of Joker and we, we saw a completely different take on it that resembles more some of the single Alan Moore books, sort of like The Killing Joke, which uh, maybe we can talk about a little more. But, but what about you? What are some of your favorite Jokers from the past? Well, 
because I, I I'm not a big comic book person, I never really followed the Joker in comic books. Obviously, my my first exposure was probably a combination of watching the old Adam West, you know, Cesar Romero Joker, the television Joker, which was a very I don't know what you want to call tongue in cheek, funny kitty kind of Joker, very 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 non very uh, violent Joker because obviously the show is for kids more or less, and then the animated versions of the Joker of all the different animated shows that have existed, as far as I'm concerned, you know during the 80s and the 90s, you know, and I'm not even mentioning the Mark Hamill Joker because by then I was already kind of out of the animated shows, so all I had was that, and then I kind of jump all the way then to. Jack Nicholson with the first big Batman film. And he really, wow, talk about bringing it to the movies now. Now you have a movie version of the Joker. Then after that, I would imagine it jumps to Heath Ledger, which to me, The Dark Knight is still my favorite comic book film, period. You know, even after some of the really good stuff we've been seeing lately, to me, everything is that what I compare it to. I liked the uh, Suicide Squad, the, the Jared Leto version of the Joker, the diff completely different, weird, very violently criminal kind of version. Now we have this. And man, it's really tough for me to pick one because right now I'm, I'm almost split right down the middle between Heath Ledger and, and Joaquin Phoenix's version. And... The main reason, and and I understand the 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 the, the overhype of Heath Ledger, especially after his demise, obviously. But I remember I, I love that movie the second I saw it. And the thing that I remember trying to explain to other people, again, because I don't have a comic book background, I gravitate to these darker, I guess you could call more depressing kind of world building when it comes to comics, uh, comic book movies. So. For example, The Winter Soldier, love that movie, absolutely loved it because it was darker, it was it was less superpower, more trying to, you know, uproot a conspiracy, a human conspiracy type of deal. The Dark Knight, I remember I kept saying to myself, if you strip away all of the comic book veneer from this movie and you just kept the crime elements... It's a great crime film because the bad guy is such a good bad guy that if you kind of remove the Joker makeup and all the extra stuff, it still works for me really well. And in this movie, that's almost exactly what, what's accomplished is you remove all the comic book out of it and you leave the backstory of how he, you know, before he got to where he will eventually become, we think. This is the beginning of that story without adding supernatural powers <laughs> you know mechanical right. adjust enhancements you know all the uh, radioactive spiders you name it it's down to its bare bones and that's what i loved about it so right now i'm still conflicted between this portrayal and the heath ledger portrayal granted because this whole world and these kind of movies is based on comic books i would still throw it more towards heath ledger because he did give us in that film there is the comic book aspect that's in your face. There's a Batman and there's a Joker and there's characters that we're familiar with that are traditional comic book characters. Here, you're given just one of them and little bits and pieces of the other ones. Yes, we do get a, a Bruce and uh, his parents <laughs> and even uh, his butler is there in one scene, but they're kind of far away and they're still kind of, you're still dealing in a realistic world. So 
it's almost like I said, what if you strip away the comic book and leave the the building blocks of the story? That's what they gave us in this, which was to me, it's like, wow, this is perfect. I know it's not for everybody, but it's for me, it's perfect. Now, let, let's go over the actual story. What, what do you remember in terms of the way that they're telling us the story, this origin story, plain and simple? But the funny thing is that we're picking up the origin story already at a point where this individual is already pretty messed up. It, it's not like he's a little kid and little by little he becomes messed up. We're picking it up right days before him really going bananas. Right, yeah. And you're exactly right. And also just to go back to what you said before, my history of the of the Joker uh, as, you know, as a, I guess a combo collector is focused mostly on, on Alan Moore's The Killing Joke story, which... It's, so the modern, yeah. It's a very gritty and very down-to-earth story, but it still has that very comic booky themes to it. So the Joker is, you know, and, and it, you, you can definitely tell uh, Todd Phillips definitely took some from The Killing Joke because it, it has that theme of the character being so down in his luck and so being so, you know, kicked around by society that it's pretty evident. And the uh, in, in, in The Killing Joke in, mm-hmm. the, uh, in, the, in the graphic novel... Even even though it's still you know again it's very it's very very reality based there's not a lot of flash and good to it but it's still based on a comic book and and the Joker gets his powers he he basically pretty simply he basically falls into a, a vat of acid uh, which is what um gives him the the look and you know and messes with his you know mental capacity uh, and sends him over the edge so you take that and if when you adapt something like that to a movie now we have this and like you said we have this the the, the setting of the movie is so everything's been so stripped down and removed from the normal mm-hmm. you know like we've seen with the marvel movies where everything's very very superpower focused you know great okay. you know guys in the capes and everything there's none of that in this movie so it, it gives us it's almost sort of it's it's very refreshing actually because you know you go you go into this knowing it's a combo movie knowing that you know you're probably going to see a Batman come out of nowhere or something, and and when you go in and you see you know where this is set and how bad you know the setting is in Gotham it's, it looks like it's set like the, like the seventies you know early eighties it has this this very grim and dark you know tone to it. And it matches perfectly with, with, with what they're trying to, you know, I guess, show us through the eyes of, you know, this very sick and very downtrodden man whose name is, you know, Arthur Fleck. So it, it, just, it, was, it was really a perfect balance to me of, and like you, like you were saying, it's a perfect balance of, you know, this comic book movie, yes, it has the tones of the comic book movie, it has characters from the comic books, but it removes all that and gives us a more human, more down-to-earth story. Yeah, and... For me, you know, what's also very interesting is the fact that we're already from the beginning of the story given three or four different things that are happening at the same time. We get to see his work life. He's, a, I guess you could call it a professional clown in a way because he's performing in a store, you know, one of those sign twirling kind of assignments. You see, I mean, in here in Florida, you see sign twirlers everywhere, that sort of thing. But he's all dressed up in clown outfits. And there's a one, there's one point where he's like at a hospital, a children's hospital. So we, we get to see his job. We also get to see that he's, he's a wannabe stand-up comic, but pretty bad stand-up comic. We also get to see more personally for him his, I don't know if you want to call it disabilities or illnesses that he's dealing with. 
one of them manifests itself, which we see in a scene where he's at a bus, where he uncontrollably laughs and he can't help himself. It's almost like a like a nervous tick that he breaks into this weird laugh that it's it's a very iconic jokery kind of laugh. Yeah, yeah, actually, I actually really like that yeah. idea of. Normally we have, you know, the Joker where he has like, you know, this maniacal laugh and he does it to frighten people or, yeah. you know, or, or to, to, to threaten people. And the fact that they right. turned it into, they completely flipped and turned it into this condition he has where he can't control it. And it seems like it's more of like, um, like a, a, a burden and a hindrance on him because, you know, it's pretty painful to watch him go through this. It's just fascinating how they, it's like this like Tourette's, you know, the symptom he has where he just can't stop laughing and it, it, it makes him and i hate this i hate to say it, it makes him very sympathetic in the beginning now i also read somewhere i forget in one of these interviews that i think throughout the movie we actually experience a number of different laughs there is the uncontrollable one but then there's at least one or right. two other ones that is him it's almost like like star trek data laughing on purpose to feel what a real laugh is like there are scenes apparently i think it's in the in the nightclub where he's laughing but he's laughing at the improper place because he doesn't know how to honestly laugh at things and then there's there's sections in the movie i understand where he might be laughing for real whereas it's him actually reacting you know on his own and not just uncontrollably or trying to mimic but he's actually and and it's a little game of trying to figure out which laugh he's dealing with at the time oh yeah, yeah actually that's a good thing you brought that up because that's i really want to touch on that from what i took from it is and i picked this up where in the beginning of the movie the the laugh is again like i said it's like this painful condition he has where he can't control it yeah he has no control over it. he's, he's, and he's it, crying it, and laughing at the same time a lot of times physically hurts him and you know it causes him even just like emotional discomfort and you it, it, it's so palpable yeah. i mean he, he's choking phoenix yeah. does a great job in this and but that sort of shifts and then in the middle of the movie we see him like you were saying at the nightclub where he's trying to sort of, I guess, control it and have a bit more, um, a, a bit more mastery of it, but he's he's missing the mark with all these other people around him who are laughing, and then he has to like sort of impose his laugh, or he's trying to force his laugh to fit in with the other people, and you know he's not getting he's he's, he's, he's his timing is so off, and but you can tell he's he's you know working on this oh, thing, yeah. trying to trying to you know calculate and in and you know when to laugh and how to control it and everything. And by the end of the mm-hmm. movie, it's now up to the point where he he has the laugh has changed in tone, and it's become more of a, a laughing not that he can't control, but now it's a laugh like he's you know spitting it out at you basically. <laughs> so and you see this when he's on the um the Murray show, uh, Robert De Niro show, where he's now laughing, but it's a much more menacing. This is the Joker now laughing, not because he can't control it. But now, because he now actually does see something funny coming down the line, so I, I, I just love the fact that you know, even, even you know, even his laugh has a, like a character arc in this movie, which is, you know, there's so there's so many like different like layers you can like pick apart. And just when I saw that, I noticed I was like, oh, that's well done, very well done. It's funny because the nightclub scenes, and here here we go in our first tangent, where he is laughing in the wrong place. 
he's taking notes and he's laughing. <laughs> and everybody's already stopped laughing at that yeah. point. And people are starting to like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And I have to talk to my son about this because my son saw the film. We didn't see it together, but we haven't really, really talked about it yet. But there's this story I told a number of times. Many, many years ago, my son was... Oh boy, I don't know, two, three years old or something. And um, we were living in Jersey and there was a bookstore called Richwood Books, I think, or something like that. And it's this little tiny bookstore, but for some reason, very famous people go there to do book signings. So for me, a very famous person is Bruce Campbell. So Bruce Campbell was doing a book signing and I was like, oh my God, I got to get there. I I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And for whatever reason that day, my wife wasn't around. I had to watch my son which on a stroller. So we're like, all right, we're going to the book signing. So I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with him to the book signing, and and we actually have to go to the basement. So I'm, you know, with my cart, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I'm going to the. So it was a major production getting down there, and before the book signing, he does this kind of like a speech or a Q and A type of thing where he he talks about his career, blah blah blah. So Bruce Campbell is talking about his career, and he's and he's a funny, funny guy, and he's oh, telling sure. jokes. And my God, if you ever heard him, watch him on YouTube. Watch one of his uh, Comic Cons or whatever convention speeches, because they're amazing how he, he owns the crowd. But anyway, he's doing his things, and people are cracking up, and my son obviously has no sense of comedic timing and doesn't understand comedy, but he understands laughter. So... Whenever every he would tell a joke and everybody would laugh and then everybody would get quiet, he would then start cracking up on his own and everybody would be like, "What? What was that? What's going on?" And, and even Bruce Campbell would be like, "What? What's going on back there? What's what's?" So I remember that after a while, it was one of those moments. And if you have kids, you understand the meltdown point where there's a certain amount of time you can keep your kid in a restaurant or in a public place before they completely explode and melt down. So I was like, okay, I got to get going now because my, my son's melting down. A friend of mine was there. I gave him my book. Here, get my book signed. Tell him I'm the guy with and, and my friend did say that. He says, yeah, he's the, he's the, he, I'm, I'm getting it signed because his kid was already melting. He was like, oh, that little kid was something, huh? So it was like, I'm watching the movie and I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly what happened to Kyle. So I don't even know. I, I, I got to talk to him about that scene to see if he remembers any, because I kept telling that story over and over many times just to embarrass him. But wow, yeah, those, those laughing scenes is, is, is a lot of these little moments that are like so well crafted and so smartly thought of to be able to pepper them through the story. Right. Now, at the same time, like we said, there's his job, there's his one of his problems, then there's the visit that he's having with his psychologist, psychiatrist, I'm not sure which exact, social worker. Yeah, I think he's a social worker. Who is treating him, but she's also, I think, giving him his medicines to keep him under oh, control yeah, you know, yeah, or whatever right. it is that's happening. And we learn that right off the bat that things are going in the bad direction because the city or the government has... Uh, stopped all funding for the type of treatment that he's getting and he doesn't know what's going to happen next and he's all depressed and angry and and you can tell he's brewing he's he's just a ticking time bomb ready to go off in this movie yeah yeah and and the fact that they kind of made gotham into you know this sort of torn city not just in the comics you always see gotham as you know like a broken city it's never gotham is never pretty it's never it's never metropolis it's the opposite actually but in the movie they also then throw in the whole class you know divide and so they were given another layer of things to pick apart and 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 the fact that thomas wayne he's not depicted as a villain in this movie but he's 
a character who is coming from a point of obviously privilege and there's a very tone deaf divide like disconnect between him and the people actually living in the streets of Gotham and it's it's, it's well played because it, again you you don't you don't really see Thomas in the comics Thomas Wayne is like a hero he's like a knight in shining armor basically and which is why you know we always root for Bruce Wayne you know as Batman because we know his father was such a you know, quote, you know great man and in the movie not so much. Thomas Wayne is sort of a pompous, you know, you, you can definitely make some some correlations between, you know, current political figures and Thomas Wayne. But he's, he's, he's given a very, you know, a rich, well-to-do, you know, holier-than-thou attitude. But it's not done in a very nefarious way. It seems like he's saying, you know, okay, you're poor because you want to be poor. I, I know the way to help you. You know, just do what I say and you're going to be okay. And it, there's this big disconnect and you can see it. And what we also love is, is the fact that in the movie, we see like this burgeoning, you know, increase of severity in how Gotham is sort of falling apart, basically. In the beginning, you know, we see scenes of, you know, like he, he basically gets beat up by, you know, a bunch of thugs in the beginning of the movie. And, you know, by the end of it, the crime and you can tell the riots and everything have escalated to a point where you know now it's like all out you know chaos in the streets and it is it, it's never shown you know it's never i guess you know up front but through smaller scenes and through the background we can you can sort of see it escalating throughout the movie until it sort of explodes all the way at the uh, at the end of the movie yeah it's the perfect storm of, of of things that are happening the division the 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 divide between the poor and the rich the mental illness issues having to do with no funding and just saying, all right, screw these people, they're on their own. And, uh, you know, you kind of start to see that. Yeah, and you have, and also you have like all these different layers of like villains basically that are going up against Arthur. You know, we have the the man top, obviously, like I said, you know, Thomas Wayne, which again, not, I'm gonna say he's really a villain, but he's someone sort of, I guess, on. I mean, definitely to, to Arthur Fleck's yeah. point of view, he's a villain. He's definitely not a, a knight in shining armor. Then we have, you know, the society as a whole, the the, the rundown crime on the streets. You know, he, 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 he twice in the movie, he gets beat up, basically, um, and antagonized. Then you have his co-workers who are, you know, various shades of, you know, right. antagonistic to him. You have, like, the social workers who are, you know, they're not, they're not villains, but they're no. not willing to help him because and it's to, to their defense you know no one's helping them either so there's so many, so many things stacked up against our, uh, Arthur where you can sort of see you know the handwriting on the wall that someone with the, this condition and with these mental problems they would fall into the cracks of society and they would feel you know like the world is basically against them right it's a disc it's a complete disconnect it's a complete disconnect it's two different worlds that do not meet. And I would say, and again, I've, I've heard this said before, that the, the bad guy in this film really is the government as a whole. The abandonment of people in need, you know, and how it turns a city. Now, granted, 
this is very New Yorkish, and I know with Batman sometimes it's Chicago, it's New York, it's it's Gotham, but that's what we get. We get those aesthetics, and we get some of those locations. I mean, I've seen places in this movie where like I know that place, I know that this looks like Queens, this looks like Jersey, this looks like that. So there's a lot of that going around, and even the year, the movies that are playing are like 1980 or 81. I think some of the the Excalibur was one of the movies, and everything looks very 70s from what I understand New York used to kind of look like garbage strikes you know mounds of garbage in the streets not getting picked up that kind of stuff so they are obviously combining a lot of that feel that that you know the city being run down crime being rampant but not very organized it's just rampant crime and more or less which works perfectly for this story somebody willing to take advantage of this situation somebody who's who's just ripe to be able to to manipulate crime and discontent and people that are upset and angry who want to focus their anger on something there's also something very political in this film that even applies to today of the how the hell does this person ever become xyz how does this person is able to tap into anger and hatred and and all this stuff you kind of see also the building blocks here of wow that's that's exactly how it's done it's 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 manipulated that way and i'll go i'll go further in terms of like you were saying different bad guys yes like you said the government is one thing his job the guy he works for is a is a creep the guy that works with him who who kind of pretends to be his friend and then kind of stabs him in the back that guy also lets him down. Even the, the De Niro character, which we'll talk about, about a little later, you know, it's kind of manipulating him into appear in a show, knowing damn well that eventually he's going to make fun of him. He's not there to be a, a just arbiter of his life. He's there to put him down and make fun of him in front of his audience. That's his job. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. Well, Bruce's father, Mr. Wayne dismisses him which we still don't know exactly and let, let's let's again let's go forward in the story so oh and obviously regular cr- street criminals he gets his ass handed to him yeah. a number of times yep. especially in the beginning where they beat him up and they break his sign which then leads to kind of losing his job or almost losing his job in that point you know we, we know from the beginning that he's a mess and staying with the theme of what else is happening internally he goes home and whoa, he's got a weird, weird relationship with his mom where he's kind of bathing her. And it's like, whoa, this is going to go somewhere really creepy. Yeah, luckily it didn't go that far, but it doesn't matter. That's like, wait a minute, you got some serious issues here. So the mother is very obviously protective of him and doesn't seem to, I guess, want to let go of him. She wants, She treats them almost like a husband in terms of, it's his job to take care of her and that sort of thing. And again, that's nothing new. I, I, I've known people like that. I've known people that never <laughs> kind of left their home and they became the automatic provider for the parent or the parents. But here it's like it's the worst case scenario of everything. Yeah, their, their relationship is, I mean, it's it's a very sensual, not sexual, but it's very like a very close. It's not graphic. You know, right. A little not... too close of, of a relationship they have together. I mean, you see them in the yeah. in one of the first scenes. You see them like just, you know get into bed together and watch TV, yeah. it's, and you know him bathing her and everything. I mean, it's loving, yes, but it is it is like a thing in the back of your mind saying, "Whoa, it's a little too weird. It's a little too close." Uh, it, it just comes off as a bit bizarre. Why don't you talk a little bit about? 
what is the connection between his mother and the Waynes? Because this is an ongoing thread that helps to eventually tip him over the edge. What is it that we know? Because here's the other problem with this movie. One of the ways that I, uh, if somebody asks me, well, what's this movie like? I'm like, well, if you watch Taxi Driver, if you watch The King of Comedy, and if you watch Fight Club, there's a lot of that in this movie. So we do learn certain things. Unfortunately, there are certain points where we realize that he's imagining some stuff. It's not really happening for real. And again, don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about this, especially towards the end. Oh, but yeah. yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what we think is going on between his mother and whatever happened to him and his real father, let's say. Okay, so in the beginning of the movie, we see a few scenes of Arthur when he's coming home after his multiple mm-hmm. beatings. We see him coming home and he's always checking the mailbox you know, with his with the name you know his name plate on it, and it's you know it seems like he, they're building it up to be like he's you know expecting some sort of letter or package or something, mm-hmm. and so then we see a few scenes of when he's with his mother in their apartment and she's uh, right. writing a letter or a note, um, and she's always and she's also she's also always expecting like something in the mail, and we see on TV we see scenes of them watching TV together and Thomas Wayne would be on speaking in front of a crowd. And she's always going on and on about Thomas Wayne and how great of a man he is. And, you know, the world needs more Thomas Wayne. And she talks very highly of him. Oh, he's a great man and he's going he's gonna to help us one day and blah, blah, blah. And then we see her writing a letter to Thomas Wayne. And she explains that it's to get him to, I guess, sort of step up and take, in, take a look, you know, and be more hands-on with helping Gotham and everything. So, so then it leaves for that for a bit. Uh, but then we get this really weird scene where, where where she asks him to you know I guess I guess she can't leave the house or or you know so she I guess asks him to deliver uh, you know um, mail any letters or you know go on any errands or anything I guess in a bit of curiosity he opens up one of the letters that she's asking him to mail and it's addressed to Thomas Wayne and it details and it sort of is a statement saying that you know I want you to come you know help my son our son really so it then sets it up like okay so she's implying that uh thomas wayne is arthur's father and that she wants him to come and sort of um uh, help them personally and so this sends him this sends him to like this you know rage you know this really angry tirade basically because she used to work for him apparently that's all we know at first housekeeper something like that i don't know so we get to scene later on down, you know, much later on in the movie, actually. And uh, Arthur confronts Thomas face to face. And he says, um, he, I, I, I'm not even sure what he was really expecting to be, to be honest. I'm not sure what he was expecting him to say or do. Um, I guess maybe just to get some recognition or acknowledgement, maybe a hug. But he basically says, you know, I think I'm your son. And, you know, do you know my mother? And Thomas basically flat out says, "Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I knew your mother. It was it wasn't like a a deep relationship. And but you're not my son. You know, you're adopted. You were an ado- you were her adopted son. And he and he doesn't. He, there was no real emotion to it. He just kind of, he just sort of says it. You know, he says, you know, okay, no, yeah, you're adopted. Furthermore, he he tells him basically that his mother, like when he knew her younger." She's kind of nuts, and she kind of makes stuff up, and which is kind of funny because not knowing him, not yeah. know, with Thomas Wayne not knowing Arthur 
at all at this point what his background is or, or his his mental stability we learn early in the movie when our i think arthur is uh he's putting on his makeup in the beginning and then he goes home and he's watching the uh the the television the, the tonight show kind of show with with de niro and he all of a sudden starts to yeah yeah pretend or believe imagine that he's in the show and that there he's being thanked for being such a great fan and and he's so oh thank you so much and you know that this whole fantasy world that he imagines you know we get a taste of that it's kind of like saying to your audience hey look out this guy's got some serious issues <laughs> yeah, including yeah. he makes stuff up in his mind and he believes it so i think it's interesting that thomas wayne already is telling him about his mother having possible issues like that too so there's a connection you know it's possible that this is a family that has a mental condition that they imagine yeah right and he basically implies that his mother is crazy made all up and that yeah you're adopted so it it was a very interesting turn i I, I gotta say it's probably it's probably my my least favorite you know plot thread in the movie um it felt it, it felt kind of like it was like tacked on like they had to add like an extra an extra bit of drama into uh, Arthur's life, but it was was still very interesting to to get that now sort of side plot where, okay, in this universe, there's a very big possibility that uh, that Arthur Fleck and Bruce Wayne are related, or, or at least, or at least, you no, know, like half brothers, which is which is very interesting. It's a different different take on it. There are certain things that are clear, and and I guess we're being told those as as guideposts of. This is definitely something he imagined. That that appearance in the Tonight Show or whatever, he imagines that. Later on, we get. I was completely floored by the fact that he meets this this neighbor, this woman, and be, and starts a relationship. And we see her in many scenes where he goes through really bad stuff, and she's there to support him and talk to him. But then when he really loses his marbles, he shows up at her apartment. And you've kind of figured, okay, he's she's going to kind of calm him down and hopefully bring him back down. But she acts like she doesn't know him. And then we're like, oh, crap. Is is what I think is happening right. happening? And it's like, right. yep, it's happening. She has no clue who, who he is and what he's doing in her apartment. Because he's made up all these meetings and relationships with her in his mind. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You have to factor in the fact that uh, this whole movie is basically taking place through the eyes of and perspective of of Arthur, you know, Joker. So uh, you get that whole like sort of unreliable narrator right. trope that that's now you can't necessarily say, especially if it was some with uh, another story we'll pick up on in a bit. Is you can't really exactly say, you know, what is real and what actually like, what actually happened or what he sort of fabricated in his mind to, I guess, sort of keep himself you know, going, I guess. There's a few scenes that are just like, you know, you sort of leave your head, scratching your head saying, okay, not sure if, if that actually took place or not. Um, I, th- I think it is a bit more defined. I, I've seen a lot online where people are, are saying like, you know, oh, this isn't real, this isn't real. And, you know, the whole thing was a dream. I don't think it, that far, I, but I, I, it is, a lot of it is told to you, you know, straight up saying, yeah, this happened, this happened, but this didn't happen. But there are there are a few scenes later on where it does sort of you know leave me saying, oh, I'm not sure if that actually took place or not. And I actually don't want to gloss over this because this is actually like a pretty important part and pretty beefy part of the movie where he 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 basically you know when he shows up in her apartment and she has no clue who he is, 
you know, it, it's just such a oh, like a oh crap. They they really went there. But you know, he 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 meets this you know woman on the elevator, and uh, and it, it feels like it's assumed that you know maybe she's seen him around, but she's never she's never talked to him. So because they they live in the same apartment together, and she sees him in the in the elevator, and she's with her 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 young daughter, assuming she picked her up from school or something, and. Uh, and the next day, the next scene, you know, they smile at each other. And the next day, you see him following her, sort of like stalking her as she's dropping her child off in school. And so the next scene, well, a few, maybe a few scenes down the, down the line, you see her knock on his apartment door. And she asks him, you know, oh, was that you following me today? And so he says, he, he says, yeah, it was me, basically. And then she, she she has like this you know, smile and it's like oh okay you know do you want to go out sometime? And so I, I'm thinking I'm I'm in the movie theater thinking like are you kidding me like they're gonna go they're gonna take it down this road I I just couldn't believe that they were gonna do something so you know cheesy and cliche like, it just seemed like it didn't fit at all because the rest of this, the rest of the movie is been like this very down to earth, you know, real, you know, real actions have consequences type storytelling. And then you have like this, this, you know, this woman who in a completely unrealistic way would just, you know, throw herself at him. Yeah. It's like, wow, she kind of jumped on that kind of quick. And then there's other scenes where, you know, once he, um, once he, I, I, I think, I forget the order of, of events here, but I think after he kills the three guys on the train, um, he then uh, goes, he knocks on her apartment door with like this like, swagger and confidence, knocks <laughs> on her door, bursts in and starts kissing. And then they have like, you know, it's implied that, you know, they have sex right there. And again, I'm, I'm scratching my head being like, are you kidding me? Like, this makes no sense at all. And so it, watching it, you know, that first time I'm thinking like, okay, this is. It's sort of like the low point of a movie. Like, I'm not really feeling this, this you know, section they're going down. Um, but then, yeah, later on, then it's revealed, like, okay, yep, it was all made up. I mean, there's little scenes that, like, they're together. Or she's, like, comforting him. And if you go back and watch it a second time, you can, you can tell because all the scenes that she's with him, they're pretty, like, inconsequential. I mean, they're, they're there for more comfort, but there's no, like, interaction with anyone else. So it's, it's very Fight Club-esque, <laughs> to, put a, to put a description to it, where um, he basically made her up and... When he at that final scene where he shows up in her apartment and she has no idea who he is, is basically you know, the nail in the coffin, basically where it says, yeah, yeah, he completely imagined that whole thing, which is why I say that I'm not sure how much of the movie isn't real because the director obviously made a choice to tell us straight, you know, straight up telling us that event didn't take place. So I'm not sure if there's any other. I'm not sure if he would then say, okay, well. You know, this also didn't happen, but I'm just going to leave it up to you. See, I I didn't fall for it in terms of I, I kind of went with it because I'm thinking, no, they're, they're setting her up mostly, I, I thought, as a tragic trigger for him in terms of maybe something bad will happen to her and he will go even nuttier than he's already nuts. I didn't expect her to just not be there, period. You know, I was like, holy moly. Yeah, and I was actually thinking that, yeah, like that's what they were going to do with it. They were going to have it be like, you know, something happens to her. She gets like mugged or killed or something. And that's what sends him over the edge. And that's what turns him into the Joker. But I like what they did with that. I really like how they, how, you know, no, he's he's already been far gone. He, this is just his fantasy now in his head, <laughs> which 
again, this is everything was so different than what I expected going in, and in a good way. As we get through the middle of the movie, and he's little by little losing his mind more and more, he at one point ends up with a gun as a result of one of his creepy friends from work giving him a gun because he'll protect himself and there's a uh there's this whole sequence which again remind it's a very new york sequence if people that are my age might remember the whole bernie gets situation where the guy goes into the train he's got a gun and he thinks or he he might be about to get mugged and he kills every one of them and he has a similar situation where you feel bad for him because He's about to get rolled. They're going to they're going to roll him again. But these aren't muggers. These are these like rich kids that are just like drunk and they want to they want to beat him basically. But he then turns it around and he kills all of them, not just in self-defense, but he basically executes them. And that's when you kind of see it, wait a minute. This is you start to kind of peel away the the, I'm feeling sorry for this guy, but at the same time, he's doing stuff now that is going over the line. And you're like, you're kind of conflicted as exactly how you should be feeling. It's becoming a tragedy, like it's one of the lines in the movie that, you know, it's not a tragedy, it's a comedy. But it is, a, it's, it's, he's, he's losing, he's getting lost in that pit, and he just cannot get out of it, and now he's relishing in it. And that's, I think, that after that sequence where he's wearing that, he's wearing the clown mask, where he kind of starts to discover this character of his. He goes running into a bathroom and he's doing this weird, you know, you hear this weird music. The music is really weird in this movie. I've never heard music like this. It's very, it's super, super creepy music. And he's doing these weird, like a, it's not a dance, but it's like a, there's a little of that. But the funny thing is that we don't know, like, we don't know where he's getting it from. In other yeah. words, we don't know that he's taking classes or, but it's, it's these weird moves that, uh, it's like, it, it's part of his breakdown. I think it's, I don't, again, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I understand that it looks just like it. And then the, the moves might be that, but applying it to this character, it's like, he's channeling something weird that we don't know where it's coming from and you start to see the the turn this is where he's be, he's becoming this character now and he understands it more yep yep yeah and he and he has like this uh you know how that scene could have played out where he could have you know after he killed the guy he could have you know every yeah. little, the three of them he he could have like ran off and you know and you know, cried or something or you know laughed hysterically but it, with this it's so different like it, it, it really sort of you know made me think like what what is this what's the deal with this and and it's it's a very like meditative very personal space he goes to with it which is very interesting even from just like a like a visual perspective is very very unique and like his confidence goes up and he's he becomes more empowered by it and at the same time the police are now looking into what's happening here the police start getting involved and there are news reports that are people, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but some people are like, yeah, he's a vigilante. We like him taking care of the, the crime. And then some other people, no, this guy's a maniac. So you, you start to see how the already mess that's going on in the city, people are siding with him and people are against him. So the good versus evil part is already starting to develop, whether it's real or in his mind, there there are people taking sides now in this. As we go forward, you know, 
things get nuttier and nuttier. His life keeps collapsing, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Something bad keeps happening for every good thing that happens to him. He gets to the point where he does find out more of that information about his mother because he actually goes to, I think it's Arkham Asylum. Yeah, yeah. Or Arkham Hospital or whatever they want to call it. And, and no, he does Okay, and, and he does kind of trick a guy into showing him or, or being able to grab the records and he does find out, yeah, his mom was was nuts. She was completely nuts. And it kind of you know, Thomas Wayne's story might have a lot into it because of it's it's kind of making sense what's happening. They took the her child away for for not being for not taking care of him and not feeding him or something. I don't know, something like that. So he goes over the top to the extent where he actually goes and suffocates her his mother in the hospital. Yeah, and actually for this, like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the movie where I I, like, I did see coming. Like I I like Murray being killed. I, I sort of I sort of saw that. You know, sort of telegraphed beforehand, so I, I I saw that coming. But but this scene where he basically suffocates his mother, that one took me by surprise. That was one that actually that actually got me because we see how yeah. close they are in the beginning of the movie, and you know they have like such deep, you know, very very deep relationship. So the fact that he just turns on a dime like that, and you know, and and kills her in such like a you know a harrowing way was you know I was like wow that's that okay yeah. He's he's definitely like like you were saying before yeah. the line between okay we feel bad for him you know sympathy in the beginning you know down your luck to now where he's doing these things where yeah it, that's far gone now that 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 ship has sailed you know the whole sympathy thing is doesn't really apply anymore um I think I hope most people would see that yeah a line has definitely been crossed here it's a very interesting choice they made. But the thing is that a lot of this is taking place very fast. Like, it, it's not like weeks are passing. This is like the next day and then and two hours later and this and this. And and that is also followed by another event, which might have been the next day, I don't remember, where his friends from work come to visit. The the creepy guy who screwed him over and then the, the little guy that was kind of nice to him. And originally, he starts to kind of think about possibly killing himself because there's a scene where he kind of, he climbs into the refrigerator and closes the door and i'm thinking is he is he trying to suffocate himself and after that is when i th- i think that's after that where his friends come and it ends up with him killing the the bigger of the two guys i thought he was going to kill them both but he does let the little guy go and it's like okay well at least you know you're you're not a complete maniac but wow it's like I, I thought he was going to just shoot him in the back on his way out or something. Yeah, and if you want like a, like a, a master class on how to create a, a tense scene, yeah, that was it. Yes, the, the whole movie, you know, oh. you obviously, you know, watching this thing, you know, when you know, really fixated on what's going on. But that scene where you know the the guy with you know he's obviously a dwarf, he's a dwarf, you know, his dwarfism, he, he's can't reach the locked door because uh, I, I guess Arthur, I guess, instinctively locked it, you know, knowing he's going to kill the guy. Right. Um, the other, the other bigger guy. But then he, after he's dead and, you know, Arthur is sitting on the floor with him, he tells the, no, he tells him to go, but it's just, it's just such a tense scene because you don't know if he's actually going to kill him or actually just let him go. And, you know, he's like that smile on his face where he's like, you know, basically gasping for breath. And he's, you know, in like this river state. Right. He came there just to visit him to make him feel better. Honestly, he doesn't have the history of the other guy. And, you know, the, the what makes the scene also, like you said, so suspenseful is that I've seen many movies. I've seen very violent movies. Movies where 
that scene ends up with everybody getting killed. The bad guy killing everybody indiscriminately, no matter how young, old, whatever, men, women. I, I've seen movies like that. So you're preparing yourself for the worst. And again, because of the unbelievable acting, you could kind of, you're like, you're like, oh, please don't kill this guy. Let him live. Just let him get out of there. Just And the scene wouldn't end because then remember, he can't reach the, the door, the locks, because he's a little guy. And he's like, oh, by the way, can, can you open the door? I'm like, oh, no, no. He's going to shoot him now. <laughs> so, so, so good. And yeah, it really was like, it was, it was I guess it was, it was said to be funny, but still, like, it, it, it was, I, I know better. I should be smiling, like, like laughing. Well, they're, they're messing with you. They're really messing with you there. Or, you know, biting my nails of how tense it was. It was really great. And especially, this is the Joker. This is the guy that relishes these ironic funny moments that to turn them completely violent and crazy but luckily he wasn't full joker yet because if this would have happened i imagine a year later he would have killed them too probably so we get another scene where he's and again i, again, I don't remember if it happened before or after but he's actually practicing killing himself with that gun he's 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 mimicking putting the gun i think in his mouth or something and then just blowing himself away and this is also around the time where he gets that phone call from the producer or one of the showrunners of that, that Tonight Show type of show, the De Niro show, let's call it, where they want him to uh, appear because of somebody shot, I guess, a video of his stand-up and they were making fun of it. And he kind of understood they were making fun of it originally. But at this point, they're talking into, they're, they're trying to talk him into it and he kind of goes along with it. But you can kind of tell. He knows they're not super serious but you also know that he has a plan. And at that point, the plan that we think he has is he's going to blow himself away on air for everyone. Well, I think when the agent calls Arthur and asks him you know, to be on the Murray show, you even see him like, you know, go into like, the motions. It's, it seems so nefarious, basically. I, I sort of saw it coming where, okay, yeah, I don't think he's going to go on TV to kill himself as a message. I think he would do it more to kill the person, especially Murray now, because we see that scene where, where Murray is basically making fun of him. And you can tell that Arthur can see that he's being made fun of. So I think so from there, I thought I was like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going to kill Murray or, or just go full slaughter and kill a whole bunch of the guests and everything. So I, I sort of saw that coming. See, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I think he, he had one plan it wasn't an automatic, there wasn't a specific point earlier on where he switched the plan. I think the plan was always loosely there, kind of in flux. And even while he's there, you know, the way that the interview kind of changes a little bit, where, where De Niro starts to become a little more belligerent towards him. Now, granted, he's, he's being a jerk. He's being a complete antagonistic jerk. And at the point where he admits that he killed the uh, the other three guys in the subway, that's when things get weird. You know, it's funny the uh, the his agent, the guy that because when he you know when he's in the green room and he says, oh by the way, can you introduce? Because he goes in full clown makeup and he's like, what the hell is this? He's like, that's okay, it's part of his act. Let him do it, whatever. He's like, that's because he called me a Joker or something. So I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be Joker. Can you introduce me as Joker? 
And his agent, who's, who's played by Mark Marin, who hosts the podcast WTF. I used to listen to it a long time ago. Comedy. He's a, he's a professional comedian. He's a comedian. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff. He's telling De Niro, he's like, this guy's. you're asking for trouble. This is, nothing good's going to come out of this. It's like, this isn't right. But De Niro goes, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going we're gonna to make it work. And yeah, they go through the whole thing. And then he admits that he kills his people. And then De Niro starts to berate him on air. I thought normally what they what would happen in a situation like that, they would just say, all right, cut, stop everything, stop tape, call the police, get over here. But they kind of stayed on. And I don't know if they, again, did they do it to kind of stall him while the cops were on their way there? I don't know, maybe, who knows. But that whole sequence, which is the third act, I guess, or the fourth, I don't know which act it is, where he changes his mind and all of a sudden... Instead of killing himself, he kills De Niro, and then everybody's like, holy crap. And then he starts to do his all his weird stuff there at the, uh, at the TV station for everyone to see, which theoretically, I guess, people that are following him or following his persona, all of a sudden, they all kind of gravitate towards him. And we see him coming out of that studio, I think, in handcuffs, going straight into a patrol car. So... We don't see exactly how that happened. We also don't see why he didn't run away. He seemed to stay there on purpose, I imagine, to incite whoever was still watching. And then we get the questionable, weird, more weirder than usual scenes where as he's being driven to, I guess, the police station, a car rams his car. The city is basically on fire. People are rioting everywhere. We also start to see two adults and a kid coming out of a theater, out of a movie theater, which is Thomas Wayne, his wife, and Bruce. And we see the entire death of Thomas that we've seen a million times already on the... But, you know, we, to- we completely forgot that at one point he actually does meet Wayne, Bruce Wayne, because he confronts him about being his brother. And we also see uh, his butler, I forget his name, uh, Alfred. And I, somebody told me they never called him Alfred, but in the credits, he's, the actor is credited as Alfred. <laughs> we just never seen him that young but we get to see the typical you know the pearls get smashed on the floor and the gun goes off now the guy apparently who kills him is not joker but apparently one of these i don't know criminal looters wearing a joker mask a clown mask so you could say he's inspired by the joker to do this cut back to him a car hits his car and this riot of people, a lot of them wearing clown masks, take him out of the car and kind of revive him because he's like half dead. The cops are dead. And he gets up and starts kind of like dancing on top of the burning car and whatever. And people are all happy to see him. And you're like, well, wait a minute. This is where, where are we exactly? Is this really happening or not? I don't know. And then again, we now cut to him being interviewed in a hospital. Like a mental hospital. It looks a lot like Arkham. It might be Arkham. Might not. I don't know. And there's a there's a, there's a a doctor there, a lady who's interviewing him. And he, he says something to the effect of, I just thought of a joke, but you wouldn't get it. And then you get this dreamy, slow motion scene where he's kind of running out of a room. And you could see bloody footprints behind them. So you're assuming, well, does that mean he just killed her? And there's guards or, or, or hospital people. Uh, 
people chasing him around the room and it's kind of like a funny slapsticky run the music is there and and you're like what the hell is this about now which there's different ways of kind of taking a lot of this end sequences or even the entire film depending on how you think about it the director who is Todd Phillips, who has a really weird, if you think about it, background as far as movies having to do with something like this. He's best known for, let's see, Road Trip, Old School, Starsky and Hutch, the Hangover movies. And he also, I think he did the Borat film. That was a great, I love the Borat film. But he's not really this kind of director, but now he is this kind of director. If you would have asked me, just going by that list of movies, if you would have... Ask me, you know, okay, this guy's making a Joker movie. No way. You know, what's your expectation? I, I would have chalked it up to being, you know, like a, a really goofy, over-the-top <laughs> movie. Like, you know, it, it just, it, I mean, I, he did a fantastic job. So I cannot, you know, heap any amount of criticism on him. But his, his, his past movies don't really, you know, lend themselves to what we just saw. So I'm wholeheartedly impressed, though. I would imagine something like Thor Ragnarok. You know, if you're going to go that direction. But no, this is complete. This is like really, really. This is Christopher Nolan Scorsese material, like dark, dark, dark. Yeah, actually, actually the only bit of criticism I do have is I, I feel like the ending was such it was like a bit of a miss. I feel like they should have ended the movie. You know, when he's and he's talking to the social worker at the hospital or the nurse, I'm probably the nurse at the hospital. And, you know, he has that scene where he's, you know, is, you know, she asked me, you know, is something funny. And he says, I just thought of a joke. But, you know, you wouldn't get it anyway. I really wish they would have cut it there. I cut the black right there and roll the credits. Because then having that scene where he's, like, running through the halls and, like, you know, the, the orderlies are chasing him around, it's way too cartoonish. Like, it, it comes – I don't know. I'm not sure why they filmed it like that because it, it, it takes the – everything we just saw and just, you know, sort of thumbs your nose, thumbs his nose at it because it just says, you know, okay, this whole goofy scene at the end to wrap it all up. I really wish they would have ended on a much stronger, much more dark, much more down-to-earth scene. And, and it's something that's very foreboding. You know, that, that line of his where he says, you know, you wouldn't get it anyway. That, I think, was the perfect ending to the movie. But, you know, then we, we, we see him, you know, walking through the halls and then he's running running around, you know, like a Benny Hill still skit. It just, it just seemed a bit too goofy. So it, it ended kind of weird for me, but that's my only real criticism I had. Can even express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the problem here is that, again, this movie is still playing. It's still making a ton of money because it's it's making a ton of money. It's I think it's number one again this past week. The interviews that I've heard so far, he's being very dodgy about explaining himself in terms of, can you tell us more about the ending? Like, did he imagine the entire movie? Has he always been in an asylum and he's imagining this life that never happened? Or did he just imagine what happened after he left the television studio? In other words, the crowd cheering him on and him doing his, his Tai Chi dance on top of the car. Is that just him in his mind like we've seen some other scenes? You know, what exactly is real and not real? You know, it's hard to say at this point. Right, right. Well, like, like I was talking a bit briefly earlier, but I feel like the core events of this movie, I'm pretty sure, I believe, happened. Like, I don't think there's much in the way of the movie, if the director didn't tell you that it was made up, I, right. I, mean, I think all of it took place. What I think we, you can question is, you know, how they sort of took place or how they sort of happened. 
Um, I, I can I can really see, especially the, the character that we're given, I can see him sort of having his own narrative about things and how and events and how they took place. So, mm-hmm. like you were saying, like toward the end when he's being taken out of the ambulance, you know, and, and then he's sort of surrounded by that group of you know worshippers, basically. You, you know, so I, I would I would feel like you know he was probably removed from the ambulance. Maybe he's like just lying there listless and there's a few people around him. But in his mind, he, you know, he has this great moment where he's finally made it and he's he has this you know, group yeah. of followers. They all love him and are adoring him. Yeah, like he's the king, you know, and they're here for him. So I, I think, you know, big high concept, everything generally happened. But it's rather that how it happened yeah. and how he got to certain places. I think that's probably where we can say, yeah, some of that is probably made up. Some of it's still, you know, some of it's in his head. And some of it actually did transpire, but just, you know, the sequence of events or how the events took place could be something that could be left to us. Now, to add a little more confusion into the mix, I heard one interview, the director, I think, saying something to the effect of, well, this could also be all in his, the entire movie could be in his mind, and he's just a criminal that will eventually inspire the real Joker to take on his persona. So it's like... I don't want to believe that because, and I, I again, I think he's just kind of muddying it up just to confuse people more on purpose. Because I remember with the the show Gotham that you know they were going to tell us the history of Gotham City and all the bad guys and where they came from and how eventually when they did get to the Joker possible character, they dragged it on for seasons. So this way, well, it's not the Joker. It, it's actually a guy that's inspired the Joker. Oh, no, no, it's his brother. Oh, no, no, it's the... So they, they, they play this little game where they kept dragging it out so it's never really the Joker, you know, more or less, until we get to the final, final end. So I don't think you would do that again. I don't think you would drag people on and trick people in that manner. To that extent, I mean, like I said, I don't mind him having certain delusional events in the movie, but to say that the whole movie was a delusion, I don't know. That's a little, that's a little too cruel on the audience. Yeah. You know, we've invested time in this. You know. Yeah, yeah. To say, I mean, to say the whole movie was a dream. That, that, that seems yeah, or, nah, you know, in his, that's... in his head, it seems a bit too much. And I think it would really take away from a lot of the movie. It'd be like one of those like. You know, oh, it was it was all the dream. You know, it was all the dream sequence type of type of things that I, I, I don't, I don't buy, it and I probably wouldn't want them to have. You know, come out and say, oh yeah, the whole thing was in his mind. Well, one of the reasons some people like to believe it's not real, it, they're saying is because of his age is so off with Wayne, Bruce Wayne. So those are those are they're supposed to be closer to each other's age. Uh, so I don't know if that's now the other the other big. Thing that you have to think about is that if they're really serious about him being Thomas's son, that means that these two are brothers, which would throw a big, gigantic twist on the the Batman Joker relationship. That would be like, whoa, that's like a that's a huge monkey wrench to throw in there. I actually really hope it's probably you know a lot of people probably do want to see a sequel to this, but me personally, I really don't think this type of movie would fit as a sort of franchise or you know more. No, it was like a trilogy of movies or something. This, it, it, that's not the type of story I think this movie was going for. I mean, what they set up here, I, I can see. Yeah, you know, it, it could have some really cool things that we could see later on. But for me, this was just like a personal, you know, quiet movie that resided in its own space. I don't know if I would want to see you know them come back to this and say, 
okay, here's part two of his story. Let's see how crazy he can get this time. Because then you have to, you know, sort of one-up yourself, I guess. It, it just doesn't seem like it, I would want to see, you know, what comes next. Like, we got the movie. We see the story. You know, it should move on to, you know, to something else, really. I would say if they were to do it, I wouldn't want to see Batman. I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing more of pre-Batman, like Joker becoming more organized, dealing with criminals, not superpowers, not superheroes, but keeping him in this mode, I would say. That I wouldn't mind seeing, more of this pre-superhero you know, pre -superhero mode or supervillain mode. Being like a mobster, like a like a big mobster, like an underground mobster recruiting other bad guys, let's say the beginnings of the Penguin or the beginnings of the Riddler or whatever, that kind of thing. But not full-blown, you know, not full-blown DC movie type of material. Yeah, but again, that's why I don't think this movie needs to be followed up with anything. Because it's like, I mean, it, it tries so many things differently. Like it try, you know, basically, you know. Arthur and Bruce are like brothers or like half brothers or, or whatever it is. It, it created its own sort of, you know, like pocket universe, basically. It tried a whole bunch of new things. So I, I don't know if I'd want to, you know, tamper with that too much. It, it came out so beautifully in this movie. I'm not sure if I, uh, I'd want to see, you know, more superheroes now that's thrown in. Well, if you remember, <laughs> if you remember when they put out Deadpool, the first Deadpool film, everybody flipped out. Everybody said... Stop whatever you're doing. We need an R-rated, more adult superhero film. And I believe around that time is when they were making Suicide Squad. And I think they, at some point they were like, okay, we got to make this movie darker. We got to make it a little more, more adult, more, a little more violent. Now, I don't know if that's what we ended up with. I don't know if that final version of that film is, is the, the Deadpool influence or not, but now they have that. They have that R-rated version. They have their Deadpool now, if you think about it. They have their their separate, uh, more adult version of that film. Can you then now start bringing up other villains and giving them these the, the, the Joker treatment? I don't know. That might be a little repetitive, I think. I don't, you know. Yeah, well, I think what DC is doing so well now with is they're creating these, uh, I think they're finally starting to realize, okay, we don't have to be like Marvel, we don't have to create this connected, expanded universe. Let's focus on actually good <laughs> characters and strong, you know, standalone characters and give them something new and unique, you know, so we can chew on. Um, that's why I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if I want them to come back to it and say like, okay, you know, here, here's part two of the Joker, you know, let's see what other the crazy shenanigans he can get into or, 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 or even worse, then try to like spin it into a, like a, like a connected universe of, you know, other characters it just seems like it, like doing a sort of disservice to this original movie which was such a fantastic good single job of portraying you know a character that we know and putting him into this very different spot as opposed to now trying to you know milk that franchise now basically it's an art it's almost an art film i would call it a, it's 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 almost an art film <laughs> well okay i'll say this i, I think this movie is you know I, I like deadpool and all but i think this movie is you know, hands and feet above the quality of a Deadpool type movie. Um, you know, Deadpool is funny and everything, but I think as storytelling and writing goes, I, I think this movie is in a completely separate league. I, 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 don't, I wouldn't even compare the two, to be quite honest. And, and that sounds pretentious, but yeah, so it's, it seems like it's this movie is more of like you know real quality film. And that's not, not to say Deadpool's not, but I, there to me, just 
in two different leagues, really. But see, but but that's why if you if you want to see this character again with this actor, this is the world he has to live in. He cannot live in a DC, you know, Man of Steel universe. He cannot live there. He he doesn't fit. I think. Uh, well, that's the thing. Again, and this, this is gonna sound like a negative, but it's not. I, I I'm not sure if I want to see this character again. He's such like a definitive story told here. I'm not sure if I want to see. Again, like I said, I don't, I'm not sure if I want to see him going, them going back to the well and repeating basically what they did here just to try to sell, you know, like another story with him. Um, because I think this is, this is such like a concise, tight story. It just seems like it would be uh, sort of, like, again, like a, like a disservice to, to see it now as part of a one of many other movies that are just, you know, going, going to try the same thing. But you, I'll tell you what they could do also is keep this world, save this world. This dark, you know, almost like seven kind of world, keep it and bring in other characters that not necessarily, you might give them an origin story, but kind of sideways. So in other words, you could have a crime story, a serial killer story, but you can make it so that some of the side characters, the supporting characters end up becoming these more important characters in the DC world. So, for example, you take take a movie like Unbreakable or even Split. Those were movies that gave you this thriller, horror yeah. kind of feel to it. And then at the last second, you realize, wait a minute, this is the creation of a supervillain or a superhero. So that, I think, is something they could do with this particular world that they built. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying is where we can get like a character... Well, so they set up this framework, like this Gotham, this theme and setting they have, and we can get like another character and we can you know, mm-hmm. put him into the same position or a similar position of being raised in this type of environment and see how he comes out. Yeah, I can see that. I can, I can sort of be pretty interesting to see you know, what characters would, if you put like a, um, a more right. villainous character that we know, would they always still come out as a villain or... You know, if we put one of the more heroic characters in the DC universe, see to see if they still walk that line. It'd be pretty interesting, actually. Right now, it's very yeah. difficult to avoid the beats of this movie. You know, you got to have a character that doesn't hallucinate. You know, that doesn't constantly get beat up by other people. You know, it's 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 not my job. I'm glad I don't have that job. <laughs> to the point, like, what character would you think you would want to see done in this in this type of fashion, where you see, like, you know, okay, it's a a more realistic reality-based setting here. So what, what character do you think you would want to see if they would do something like this? Right. Well, what about this? Don't go for the big ones because the big ones are too easy to knock down. What about young Robin? Do a story about him growing up with his parents and not until the end does he become an orphan or things happen to him and along the way he he might meet these supervillains that are not supervillains yet. Maybe one of them was responsible for the accident with his parents, you know, do this, the side thing that at the end of the movie, you realize, oh, crap, this is where this is leading to, you know, that kind of that little sideways trick that, that sometimes they can play. It would have to be a character that didn't have like, like the special power. So we, we can't do like, you know, we can't do like Clark Kent right, here. Right. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you need a, a, a it's got to be this world. And this world is yep. a very basic world, very gritty kind of way. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. But. At the same time, I, 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 I'm more for, yeah, I want more of this. <laughs> I do want to see more of this. 
And I think they haven't completely closed the door on it yet either. I think yeah, they're wishy-washy about it. I mean, even Joaquin Phoenix was saying that, hey, they could have continued shooting more. They just had to stop because the movie had to be released. But he kind of got attached to that character that he built. And I mean, this has you know Oscar written all over it for him as a as an actor. If there's no Oscar now, at least a nomination for Joaquin Phoenix in this, oh. I, it would be a huge slight. I mean, I have yeah. my feelings already with the uh, with the Academy and how they do their voting, really, yeah. when it comes to combo movies and everything. But, it, yeah, I would be stunned. And even the supporting characters, like De Niro was really great in this. So, yeah, I, I would feel like it would be pretty big slap in the face if at least some sort of recognition isn't given to this. And it's so ironic because have you ever seen The King of Comedy? Actually, because of this movie, I actually went and seen and, and watched a few scenes from it. Just a few clips. Uh, because I heard it's supposed to be pretty derivative of King of Comedy. This movie, this is the king of comedy. This is the guy who's obsessed with a TV show and to the point where he commits a crime to be in the show. You know, that kind of thing. It's it's incredible. I don't know. I mean, to, the other thing to me, this movie is a perfect... And I know it's not perfect in terms of things don't match up. I know that. But to me, it feels like a perfect bookend with The Dark Knight. Because all of those things that I kept saying that I like about The Dark Knight and how I could picture this movie, this movie's origin even, or this movie itself, without the superhero elements, this is exactly what they gave us here. I could put those movies next to each other and say, yeah, I can see the progression here of these of this character, how he started out as just another nutty citizen who went way over the top and became this comic book character. Going back now, I think, actually, I probably will... I guess I appreciate the Nolan movies a little bit more now because I was never a huge fan of the Nolan Batman. They all seemed a bit, I don't know, like they were trying a bit too hard at times. But because of how stripped down this movie was and how just raw and emotional you know, packed this movie is, it definitely gives me a more of a, I guess, a, yeah. a appreciation of the Nolan movies where they're now, I mean, compared to this movie, th- those movies are like, you know, bright, colorful <laughs> comic book type movies. Definitely, definitely. Well, the the other thing I, I'd like to mention is that even before this movie came out, I did hear a, a good buzz about it having to do with the, I think it was the Venice Film Festival or something, that it got like a crazy standing ovation. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. This might be interesting. Because at the time when, when this movie was announced, weren't they working on a on a Jared Leto version of the Joker also at the same time? Or was that supposed to be part of Suicide Squad or was he going to get his own movie too? Yeah, yeah. I think from what I remember, I, I remember them hearing you know, the whole Suicide Squad 2 thing came out. Again, I just assumed it was going to be Jared Leto again. But then I started hearing the Joker, but not as part of Suicide Squad. I, I kept hearing, you know, I kept seeing these rumors about, you know, just a Joker movie itself. Yeah. Um. And I remember seeing the first image like, later on. I remember, I remember seeing the first images of this, and I, and it's it's the scene where he's on the train with like the red suit and with the face paint on, yeah. and it was such an odd looking scene. I was like, wow, this looks really unique. And I mean, I didn't know what to make of it at first. I, I, it looked cool, but I, I didn't know if this was going to be like a like a serious movie. I, I know the tone of it at all, and it, I still wouldn't have known the tone until you know only. You know, I started hearing about where this is a really dark movie. So, yeah, I mean, it was very interesting how it came about. I guess I remember seeing the press releases and the, the, the images and the stills that came out. And it had a very, very unique look to it. Uh, but then about a week or two before the release, there was a lot of negative stuff about the movie. 
there was this thing about the movie enticing violence and and the and glorifying the villain and this and that and it's like no i mean i'll tell you one of the again one of the biggest issues with the movie as a movie viewer as a typical let's yeah. just say american movie viewer there's no good guys there's really no good guys that you can grab a hold of to be able to ward off all this negativity that's coming in his direction and by him. There is no opposing force. Obviously, in, in the other movies, yes, you have your Batman, you have your, your Commissioner Gordons that are kind of pushing back against this crazy evil. Here, it's just rampant. And, and there's nothing that, that at the moment you see that could stop him. He's just an uncontrollable force. So... I have a feeling, you know, granted, a lot of these people that are complaining about this film, they're complaining even before watching it. So I don't know. I don't know if that was just bad marketing or bad press or just somebody being a troll about it. But sure, sure, a little more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you know, knock on wood, I don't think this has inspired any nuttiness, at least not yet, and hopefully not ever. Everybody was afraid of of, an, of something like the Aurora shooting when when Dark Knight yeah. Rises came out, and they were saying, "Oh my God, this film is ripe for that kind of a, a a situation to happen again." But again, you know, in a way, the film depicts this this whole issue of mental illness that the problem is not so much somebody copying something; the problem is somebody not being treated. You pull away their treatment, you put away their support, their medicine. And it's pandemonium. That's that's basically the message you're given. You do feel sorry for this character, especially at first, because the building blocks of a lunatic is in the works. You start to see that that foundation being built of somebody who will go completely haywire eventually. But I imagine that most people watching this film, you get to a point, maybe somewhere in the middle, yeah. where it's like, Okay, I'm no longer feeling sorry for him. Now he's crossed the line and he cannot be redeemed. He's doing his own thing now. He knows exactly what he's doing. Plus, he's nuts on top of it. So he's gone. He's he's a lost soul, basically. <laughs> well, well it's, it's funny because I got I got listen to a lot of other you know, like some Star Wars podcasts and everything. And Avon's always. I mean, the the hot topic now has been you know can can can, can Kylo be uh, redeemed? Will, will, you know, basically in Episode Nine, will Kylo be redeemed? Uh, so <laughs> so that, that's been sort of you know the thing uh, the thing that's been you know being talked about. And, and it's, it's but it sort of touches the same sort of topic, you know. No saying, right. you know, should Kylo be redeemed, you know, for all the things he did, you know, he killed his father, all this other stuff. So, is it, but, but with this, with, with Joker, I think there's a more serious line that I don't think too many people are going to be saying, well, he had X and Y reasons, so, you know, he was in the right. I don't think that's the, I guess, this isn't a hero story, so... You know, and I, it, to me, that that's right. Going back to that, we still don't know what happened to her. I, I don't see like in the beginning. Yes, we you do see a lot of um, sympathy that can be drawn from it, but by the end of the movie, after everything you've gone through with this guy, and you know, you've seen him some of the crazy, you know, batshit stuff he's done. I'd be hard pressed to get like, any sane person seriously saying that they sympathize with him one hundred percent and can validate what he did. 
And it, it demystifies his character a little more, too, because, like you mentioned earlier, part of his craziness in some other forms has to do with him falling in that bat of acid where it changes his skin color and, and maybe mentally he loses his mind even more because of the acid. So you have this mythical external element. You know, again, it's the fantasy, it's the superpower, it's the, it's the radioactive spider. Here... They're, they're saying, no, 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 mental illness, period. There it is. There's no magic powder here. It's, it's, it's the mental illness. He needs to be medicated and under control, you know, and treated. If you don't do A, you're going to get B. So now we have B. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and like I said, yeah, it's a good reference to the, the, the radioactive spider, yeah. But with this, it's very, you know, like I said, it's very raw. It's very, you know, basically laying the cards out saying, yeah, here in this country, we have a mental health problem, really. It's not covering it up. It's not masking it up. It's laying it all out there. So, and I, and I really applaud, again, I really applaud that there, it, is, it is handled so well and not swept under the rug or anything. It's really... It really exposes sort of a lot, of, yeah, and not even not even just mental health. I mean, then you have the whole you know crime and uh, social disparity in the movie depicting the divide in Gotham and everything. So it it just touches you know so many different topics and sort of you know opens the door to talk like this and debate. <laughs> and it's great because every time I go to the movies lately, it's like. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was all right. It was okay. It's all right. To me, it's good to walk out saying, "Well, it was yeah." Good. And, and, or, or the other feeling I sometimes get when I see a movie is the, I don't know how I feel. I have to now go watch some YouTube reviews to see how other people <laughs> felt because there are certain movies that are like, did I like it or did I hate it? I, this this weird fine line between I liked it and I hated it, or did I not understand it? No, this is exactly. It took me exactly where I wanted to go. The last time I've seen a movie like this, I think, was something like when I saw Memento, which is a movie that it was like, oh, this is different. This is really different. And, and I'm glad they did this because it's kind of like you're taking what is now, I mean, the comic book movie, which is, it's a cliche now, the comic book movie, because there's been so many of them. And they're kind of all... Pretty, especially the Marvel films, they're they're kind of on this level, you know. You kind of know where you're going. It's gonna be like this. Every now and then they go a little dark. Every now and then they go a little funny, but it's still within a certain range. This is outside of everything. This is outside of DC films. I don't think I can't even imagine, you know, even the any of the latest attempts of DC movies being able to hit it in this area. They knocked it out of the park on this one. They set a very high bar yeah, for Yeah, this is going to be a so, tough one to follow, yeah. Very curious to see how they follow. Because, I mean, it would be... Now it's going to be a bit odd when they come out with, like, you know... Like Aquaman two, you know, is this going to seem like a, a, such a, a departure now? You know, back to the the more formulaic type movies. I, I really hope these things to come for DC because I'm a self admitted DC fan. I love the DC comics, and I just I really hope they sort of can stick the landing a lot in the next few movies here because uh, Marvel's been you know taking it you know knocking it off the you know knocking it out of the park with their franchise. So I, I hope DC can take some lessons learned from this and uh, and not necessarily have to make some big cosmic war, but these smaller stories that deal with a lot of you know, human problems that we can all relate to, I think really is really could be their ace in the hole. What I would wish they would put out, and I, I haven't seen one, and I doubt we'll get one, is a novel. 
I would love to see a novel based on this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They, out of you know, out of all the movies, this one actually deserves a novelization. Unfortunately, <laughs> because I think part of the game plan and part of the script is to keep the audiences uncertain about certain events. I don't think a novel would help to kind of clarify these things yeah. unless the director sits down and says, yes, this is what I meant to be. Yeah. But no, a lot of times they do purposely want you confused. They want you to come up with your own uh, ideas of what happened at the end. Yeah, yeah. That's a possibility. Mm, yeah, that's true. Uh, and I think with, a, with a, a novelization of this, they can really drill down to his character and psyche. Uh, I think that would be uh, that would be a really good read, actually. Uh, depending on the author, I think they can really give us a lot of insight, and then we can really see, you know, okay, we we can debate whether certain events happened on screen, but I think with a book, we can really then piece it together more so, you know, and they can really play around with that to see, you know, okay, what events did take place and what events didn't. I think that would be really a really fun read. Anyway, I think we we pretty much uh, covered this one from top to bottom. Oh, this uh, was uh, a good, uh, honestly, I think we, we could go on for another hour to dissecting this movie because <laughs> there's so much here. I've seen so many Facebook posts of like what different people think this movie's about and theories and th- it's it's insane. I'm also told, and I can't go over them now because I don't remember them, that it's full of Easter eggs too. It's got a lot of things that we might have missed that they barely touch upon. There's certain numbers and certain streets and certain names and certain people and that kind of stuff. Oh, actually, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I didn't even really pay attention to uh, because this movie is so like far removed from you know the normal comic book movie. I wasn't even that's not I wasn't even like focused on looking at for any like Easter eggs. This type of movie, you're not expecting like you know Stan Lee to show up out of nowhere or anything. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I also wasn't even really paying attention for any, um, except for you know the, the, the big sign that said Arkham Asylum. You know, I think I caught that. You know, you can't couldn't be any more obvious. But yeah, I didn't really pick up on yeah. on on too many. Yeah, I'm gonna have to dig up and, and maybe we can talk about it on a future time. But off the bat, I I type the word Joker Easter eggs, and one of the things that comes up says. Joker doesn't have any Easter eggs, according to Todd Phillips. <laughs> but then I see other ones that say 25 things you might have missed about the. It's like, okay, never mind. So it's I, I, a lot of it having to do with, you know, comparisons to earlier versions of the Joker and, you know, that kind of stuff. But anyway, we'll, we'll explore that in a future time. Anyway. Thank you, Steve. This has been this has been a great. Oh man, this has been a good one. I can't again. This movie, it's like. So when's it coming out on DVD? <laughs> oh like, yeah, yeah. This is definitely going to be a uh, a day one purchase for me. Uh, you know, right up there with when Star Wars comes out on Blu-ray. Yeah, this is definitely something I'm picking up on uh, on day one. And if you think about it, this is probably the kind of movie that once we get to the end of the year or close to Oscar time, they might do a, a special release, a re-release. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, a, a re-release on this would be would be great, actually. Um, and I think it would, I mean it's already made a ton of money, but um, yeah, I would I would love to see it back in theaters for a limited run. All right, thank you, Steve. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks uh, for bringing me on, Carlos. This is a fun one. Uh, we could probably talk for another you know hour and a half, uh, <laughs> even after this, because uh, there's so much to unpack in the movie. But uh, I appreciate it, and thanks a lot, everyone. You got it. All right, first of all, I want to thank Steve for joining me today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. This was a pretty long one as far as being, you know, on one subject. 
and it was just because we had so much to say about this film that we both enjoyed. Really, really surprised us out of nowhere, this film. You know, we were both kind of, you know, iffy about another film with the Joker in it this soon in the mix. And wow, was it worth it? This one was really good. We can't wait to see what happens next. The home video market, you know, this is going to be a big release when it comes out. The movie's still out in the theaters. That's how crazy this is. And in the future, will they tap into this character again in some shape or form? They're going to have to be very careful as to not, you know, overstate their welcome, if you will, to see how this character could be used, you know, on a future movie. So, on behalf of everybody, once again, thank you to Steve, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Can you please stop bothering my kid? Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. In a world where everyone thinks they could do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. It's so awful, isn't it? But I do. People are starting to notice. You think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2019. <laughs>
you won't be sorry for long. <laughs>